Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. That's where we look ahead to some of the stories and events that are going to be grabbing headlines and moving markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, we're going to be looking at the plush Swiss health and ski resort. No, we haven't turned to travel. It's the annual World Economic Forum in Davos. We'll also be talking miners, energy companies and fuel prices. And finally, we'll be finding out how this short clip our drug industry has been disastrous. They're leaving left and right. And the other thing we have to do is create new bidding procedures for the drug industry because uh, they're getting away with murder. Wiped billions of dollars from the value of shareholders' investments. I'm joined in the studio by Times Business columnist Alexandra Freen and Marcus LaRue, our trade correspondent, and on the line from Berlin by David Charter, the Times correspondent in Germany. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Marcus, I want to start with you, the World Economic Forum and Davos. I mean, you're going to be part of the Times team going there with uh, Richard Fletcher, our business editor, and Philip Aldrich, our economics editor. What's leading the agenda this year? And perhaps... What do you think listeners will be able to glean of any use from what is, after all, seen as a bit of an elitist gathering? Well, I'll I'll try to answer the the second question in a moment because that's a pretty difficult one. But the first one is is the the, the official theme is responsive government, which I think that's Davos talk for populism. If you had a collection of of people anywhere in the world who were most concerned by by the election of Donald Trump and by Brexit and by Beppe Grillo in Italy and Marine Le Pen in France, then it will be in this corner of the, the, the Swiss Alps. So what to do about isolationism, the, the the sluggish growth in global trade, protectionism, all of these issues are are going to be uh, front and centre um, at the at the debate in Davos. David, can I bring you in here? I mean, f- for Germany, of course, Marcus alluded to France and Italy, but of course, some important elections coming up in Germany. They're going to not only dominate the political headlines, but the business ones as well, I assume. Yes, it's going to be very much a focus, a domestic focus for Germany this whole year, because we don't know the exact date yet of the elections, but it's probably going to be in September. It has to be before the end of October. Uh, that might be one reason why Angela Merkel is not going to Davos for the second year in a row. Sounds like a snub, doesn't it? I think Wolfgang Schäuble is going, though, so he can go and talk about his budget surplus uh, as much as he likes. But that's not what uh, German people really want to hear. They want to hear a bit more about uh, investments, I think, uh, from uh, the German uh, government. Uh, uh, just a little bit more to lift perhaps wages in an in a, in a economy of very high employment, but not 
not a bunch of happy workers in Germany. I think they're feeling a bit underpaid, uh, generally speaking. And, of course, still very worried about the influx of lots of migrants and refugees over the last couple of years. I have to say that has gone down a bit. And that's one reason why Germany has actually recorded a budget surplus. They didn't spend as much as they thought they were going to spend on the migrants. And there's, that, there's, I mean, that is a general, a general trend. The politics of going to Davos when you've got trouble on the home front and where they're, you know, they're they're nativist or uh, politi- nat- nativist trends at work, where people are more interested in in uh, being seen to be looking after their own backyards. Um, is probably something something of a, of a of a theme that you don't want to play the globe trotting elitist when if you have a, a, a an AFD or a or, or a Front National. At yeah, home. that's definitely that's definitely right, Marcus. I mean, the last time Merkel went out in the snow, she fell over and cracked her hip as well. That was uh, <laughs> uh, three three winters ago. So maybe she doesn't want to repeat of that. But you're absolutely right. But that they she's very worried about the rise of the alternative for Germany, the AFD party which is consistently polling at over 10%. So it's going to get 40 or 50 seats in the parliament at this rate. And that will really throw the cat among the pigeons and even perhaps put her re-election in jeopardy. And stepping stepping back from that again, one of the the interesting trends this time around is the other big story that we've had pre-Davos is that Xi Jinping is turning up the first time a Chinese uh, president has, um, has, has come to the World Economic Forum. And you have to see that in terms of their their steps generally on the global the global trade ascension to the to the the WTO. They're trying now trying to get market economy status. They've got this um, infrastructure development bank, which is seen as a, an alternative to the World Bank. Um, and as Donald Trump threatens to tear up uh, TPP, they're also looking at, at the world's biggest trade deal ever. So uh, the symbolism of it looks fairly obvious and deliberate. Uh, I'm just astonished by Davos and the World Economic Forum. It it just has always struck me as a very odd uh, jamboree for rich people to get together. And I would have thought that in this year of all years, after we've seen this big backlash against globalism, that um, people would be very nervous about being seen to to go. And I noticed that Justin Trudeau, the Canadian uh, uh, head, has said he's just going to spend the week traveling Canada and talking to ordinary people which is a a really big snub I mean should we be promoting Davos because of Brexit and Trump's victory or should we be saying look guys they're trying to tell us something here I think I think that's a that's a that's a really good question and you've pushed me into the 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 odious position of sticking up for, for Davos here there aren't that many events around the world where you have such a concentration of powerful people lobbyists, uh, campaigners, NGOs, pop stars in one small area trying to get to each other or avoid avoid each other. Now, that can be quite stomach-churning. There's a lot of back-slapping, as you'd imagine. But without, you know, you can be too cynical about these things, yeah. that, that with global problems, having people uh, in the same room together without minders, without lawyers can actually occasionally yield results. There was a fascinating Desert Island Discs a while ago, a while ago with the guy who first isolated uh, the Ebola virus. And he also went on to, um, you know, to do great things with antiretrovirals for, for power countries. And he, when he was asked, you know, where did you, where did you finally make uh, headway with, with the pharmaceutical giants? He said, oh, it was at Davos when I could get to them without their lawyers. It's the stuff on the sidelines. The fact that people are angry with elites who are unresponsive and yes there's an irony that people are going up a mountain in Switzerland to talk about how to be more responsive 
that 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 is obviously not a great look at the moment. Uh, but global problems haven't disappeared. In fact, probably the opposite. You'd say. Would you say, David, over there? Now you've been uh, to Davos yourself. Would you agree with Marcus that, on the whole, uh, on balance, it is a cause for good rather than uh, otherwise? Would you know what? So that's the first really positive concrete example i've heard of uh something something coming out of it something concrete that's that's been achieved by it i'm sure there's a lot of synergies and a lot of networking by extremely well connected already people i mean it it has to be stressed it's a very odd place uh, because really there's just a few hundred people there who are apart from us anonymous journalists they're all extremely well-known faces and literally bump into bumped into tony blair in the toilet and i've walked into bill gates at a drinks party and it's a fantastic opportunity for a journalist to go and uh, meet these people and you do wonder whether any good generally comes out of it and i have to say that's that is really the first concrete example i've heard and i I was there in 2007 and 2008 and they completely missed the financial crash that was just about to happen yeah i've i've heard that um uh, there were some big steps taken off on malaria as well through uh, meetings that have happened at at davos so well done marcus for (laughs) defending the elites partying together I, I, I just think these are questions we, we should ask and, and I think we should expect things to come out of Davos and we, they should be held accountable. Abs- absolutely. I'm, I'm just glad that somebody here has the, uh, the, the, the courage to stick up for the elite. So am I. And it wasn't me. <laughs> anyway, remember to keep up to date with all the latest news from Davos on our website and in the paper. We'll keep you regularly posted. Uh, Marcus, I wanted to move on to energy just briefly. We've got trading updates, if you like, from Rio Tinto, Ken Energy and Evraz, uh, Roman Abramovich's company, I believe. Uh, is there anything specific, first of all, to look out for in those companies? But, but more broadly, what about this sort of so-called rally in, in, in commodity prices, first before we look at oil? It's a very interesting rally because... In certain respects, you could say that it's 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 an artificial or or, or rigged rally. First of all, if you if you look at oil, uh, which is trading sort of mid fifties since the little kick it got before Christmas from the OPEC non OPEC uh, deal, that's entirely to do with coordinate or the promise of coordinated supply restrictions. And even I think you know it have gone up even more if if the the, the traders had really genuinely believed that that OPEC really meant it this time. Um, and it remains to be seen whether those cuts will come to come to fruition. Another example is um, is is coal, which which has has flown up over the last six months because of Chinese uh, intervention in its domestic market. As a result, uh, mining share prices have 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 uh, have, have taken off, um, as well as as well as copper prices having bounced more than people expected. And across the board, uh, there's 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 a resurgence that people didn't necessarily didn't necessarily see coming. Now, some of this, you know, I think there's has to be a certain amount of a certain amount of downside risk here because of the the the, the kick that was. Uh, uh, provided by the, the 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 Trump boost with his um, his infrastructure plan, that that seems to be priced in in a way that that's possible. So you'd be cautious, would you, about talking up a further rally in mining just based on what you've said, because there are so many different fragmented reasons why, and none of them are necessarily based on total demand as opposed to it, sentiment. It, it, ex- exactly that 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 they're based on fundamentals, but on the on on the supply side rather than the rather than the the demand side and. And a fairly synthetic supply question. So the the Chinese are already rolling back slightly on the 
the intervention, the, the supply restriction in, in domestic coal. Um, and we all know the way that OPEC politics work. I mean, the, the, the Libyans, for example, who were excluded from the, 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 the supply restrictions are ramping up like there's no tomorrow. Um, mm. And I think that, that that could become one of the areas where if they surprise people with how effectively they can bring production back on, then, then that, that, could, uh, that could undermine the, the, the coordinated production cuts. David, I'm going to bring you in here. I mean, energy, the whole issue of any on continental Europe seems to be slightly different than the debate we're having here, doesn't it? I mean, there's been so much debate about nuclear, non-nuclear, uh, renewables. It's a different, slightly different picture over there, isn't it? Yeah, I think the focus of the, especially in Germany, is, is different. Well, because uh, Angela Merkel, of course, has announced the phasing out of nuclear technology, um, which is caused massive um, uh, fights with the two big energy companies, RWE and E.ON, and they have to settle on compensation uh, between themselves and and also who's going to be uh, sort of guarding the, the, the nuclear waste in, in the future, which is going to be the German state and how much do, do the companies pay for it and um, how much is the German state going to, is it, is it able to help the companies uh, reconfigure um, it, it's 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 a bit of a mess, and that's why I think uh, share prices have been consistently uh, going down uh, from these companies ever since Merkel announced that in 2011. So whatever little bounce there is at the moment with um, with the commodity with the change in the commodity markets, it's been a bit of a long-term struggle actually for the big traditional German energy companies, and I don't, I don't think that's going to be any different this year. Just reminded me there, David, the the, the old story of how the, the, the Germans decided to phase out nuclear energy as, as part of their green agenda and ended up burning more lignite as a result, um, which is, is a, a rare example of another country's energy policy, policy making ours look joined up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, in, in, in burning more lignite, importing, importing um, fuel from, from Poland that is the, 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 the biggest coal burner in, in the Western world. Um, also, you know, nuclear energy being sometimes being imported into the German grid to help out from uh, from Belgium and, and France. I mean, yes, exactly. It's the policy was was the, a rare example of Angela Merkel making policy on on the hoof, and or, and and um, it was perhaps reflects why she doesn't very often make <laughs> snap policy decisions. Uh, I've got a question for Marcus with your uh, energy hat on. Marcus, I'm, I'm wondering, does it make any difference at all that the leader of the free world, as from Donald Trump's inauguration, is a person that um, doesn't really believe in climate change? Uh, he won a lot of support from the mining uh, backbone of America. And uh, I, I wonder how that changes things on a global level if at all it, it, it absolutely does i think it's a bit premature to say he doesn't believe in 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 climate change because it's so difficult to work out what he actually genuinely believes if if that's if that's even a valid question he said at one point on twitter that that it was a chinese hoax yes. which is quite a hoax and he also said when the new york times editorial board spoke to him after his election he said he was open to the, open to evidence, so that he wasn't ruling out man-made climate change. But yes, he is absolutely uh, he is he is a cool guy. He definitely won't doesn't. I, I can't imagine him backtracking on that. 
and that's being taken really seriously. So, so coal bosses are already looking at things like the um, the OECD rules on export credits, which enable you to, which basically block you from providing export finance for um, for you know coal-fired power station kit to, to other countries. Um, they're all, you know, the financing of, of 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 coal energy is something that's probably up for is under consideration now when it wasn't before because of so much of the pressure on the OECD rules was coming from coming from Obama. Um, and it probably also means that that, that perhaps if he's into, if he's if he's if he's beholden to coal, uh, that will likely also go alongside a certain amount of carbon capture and storage. Yeah. Which and so there'll have to be a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a push on that, which is actually the sort of the, the you know the, the the silver lining possibly from the from the environmental point of view. All right, we'll sit tight. We'll take a short break now, and when we return, we'll be looking ahead to that Trump administration and what to expect. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Well, at the start, we played a clip of Donald Trump's very public attack on the pharmaceutical companies that almost immediately translated into a huge sell-off in pharma shares of what the incoming president might do. Now, here's another clip from his press conference, and he's talking about his first few office, uh, first few days in office, and specifically trade. Marcus, take a listen to this. And that's what we want. That's what I want to bring to government. I want to bring the greatest people into government because we're way behind. We don't make good deals anymore. I say it all the time at speeches. We don't make good deals anymore. We make bad deals. Our trade deals are a disaster. We have hundreds of billions of dollars of losses on a yearly basis. Hundreds of billions with China on trade and trade imbalance, with Japan, with Mexico, with just about everybody. 
We don't make good deals anymore. Is there any cause markers for concern here? Or, or should Britain be encouraged, given that we're on a Brexit road? Yes and no, if it's not too much of a, of, of a cop-out. Yes, I mean, you, you heard, heard, heard him there conflate uh, losses with a trade deficit, which is indicative of his mercantilist, protectionist worldview, that he thinks imports are a bad thing. Um, and we've discussed that, I think, in a previous podcast, uh, Alex. Um, the positive is the bad deals he's talking about are... he's. Uh, the two that he was he was most uh, concerned about on the campaign trail were uh, NAFTA, the deal with Canada and Mexico, and um, and TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which isn't in place yet, which he he referred to as a, a continuing rape of of the United States. Uh, so fairly fairly strong language. Both of those are a multilateral deals, not bilateral deals, with lots of, well with more than one country. And, and B, they include countries that have very um, uh, very different uh, uh, wage levels. So that explains why, you know, I don't think it is just empty Trump rhetoric when he says that Britain will be first in, in the queue. It, it, it is the sort of deal that he, that he and his advisors, people like Wilbur Ross, have talked about doing, that, that there might be an alignment of interests. But having said that, you know, they have they have they have explicitly said he in his manifesto um, or in his trade plan, one of the one of the criteria of the litmus test that uh, that a trade deal has to meet is that it, that it will reduce their, the U.S. trade deficit. So Britain will have to go into it with with their eyes open uh, for that and a number of other reasons. I think we're just entering this really crazy new normal where no one knows how um, anything's going to turn out, and I, I really really hope that Donald Trump has appointed the smartest people to do his deals because if you talk to small medium-sized manufacturers there are so many products you know made in this country that that will export parts to america to have something done on them in america they come back into the country they might then go to germany to have something else done they come back into the country the number of times the components cross international borders is enormous and I, i just think it's really important that we listen to the people that produce the goods. Yeah. I'm really worried about the U.S. car makers, how they are going to manage in a protectionist world. You, you're you're dead right. I mean, the, the his um, belligerence towards car makers moving production to Mexico is a perfect case in point because one of the things that NAFTA. Um, I mean, there was a there was a, a North Atlantic or a North American uh, car pact before that that got struck down by the WTO. But but generally, NAFTA has been successful, like the EU, in these these integrated supply chains. The U.S. car industry, I think, is probably stronger as a result of NAFTA than uh, th- than it would have been otherwise, precisely because of that element of of allowing people to specialise without there being uh, cross border cross border friction. And s- there there are parallels here with Brexit because it's very easy to talk about our success in exporting to the rest of the world, but really difficult to nail down the extent to which we are a launching pad for European supply chains. Where the final point of departure for European supply chains and that's the, 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 the figures I've seen for that are enormous but, but, but also quite, um, uh, quite opaque. Yeah, and and I think it's not just Mexico. The, the U.S. car industry depends a lot on Canada. There's a bridge in Detroit called the Ambassador's Bridge, with all the parts going to and fro between Canada and the United States. And you know, I just wish someone would take Donald Trump down to one of those car plants and, and show him those trucks going o- over the bridge. But I I do wonder on a, on a 
bigger scale and not just to do with trade but to do with uh, corporate America and indeed the whole world how we are going to see um, Donald Trump once he uh, has got past his inauguration is he going to keep tweeting the names of sectors and individual companies we've seen his tweets move share prices by you know one or two percent on individual days and um, you know, there's even an app been developed. It's called Trigger, and it's a, it's an app for traders traders that they can use it to spot interesting trends. And now they've got a, a special Trump feature. And as soon as Trump tweets about a named company in your portfolio or a sector in your portfolio, you get an alert, and you can presumably take action within seconds to mitigate any effect that may have been caused by an intemperate tweet from Donald Trump. You know. That surely can't continue when he's president. David, perhaps a final thought from you over there. We've talked about, you know, we're going on the Brexit route. We've heard what Trump had to say. What's the feeling in Berlin about uh, the incoming administration? I think the, the, the nervousness is actually less economic and more on the security side in, in Germany because Angela Merkel has really been the European leader who has led the um the opposition um to putin she's a russian speaker who feels she understands him and can speak to him um one-to-one in russian which they have done occasionally although much less frequently since relations have almost completely broken down over ukraine and the noises that trump has been making about withholding support uh, from nato if uh, european companies uh, european countries sorry don't uh, pay a bit more into NATO, which, which they should do, but it, it, even so, the, the, these, these are the, the concerns that are really um, hitting Germany in, in an election year where the German um, establishment is extremely worried about uh, cyber intrusion into it, its election process, having seen the kerfuffle in America. Um, the, they are extremely worried about um, what can what could happen in the next few months with fake news and all the rest of it, um, which we've had a couple of examples of actually um, in in Germany already. So, yeah, there's a lot of nervousness and a feeling um, that uh, America is vacating the the pitch in in Europe, which will add to really uh, nervousness and instability that will feed through to, it could obviously feed through to the to the economy in, the, in a negative way. I mean, obviously, if relations were to Russia were somehow dramatically to be transformed by Trump, and this, were, this was um, an effect that fed through to Europe, then, of course, um, it would lead to, a, you know, an economic recovery in those parts of Eastern Europe, which are suffering from, you know, with the Russian sanctions. But that really doesn't seem very likely. Um, in, in certainly in, in this year. All right. Well, thank you all very much. And that's about it for now. But remember, you can keep up to date with all the real news and analysis online on your phone or tablet and in the paper. And we'll be bringing you the latest news, as we promised, from on high in Davos. And if you'd like to become a subscriber, then just go to thetimes.co.uk and you can get a special offer for £1. And don't forget to sign up to our daily lunchtime and morning emails if you are a subscriber. If you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes and please do feel free to post your comments. We'd love to hear from you. My thanks to Alexandra Freen, Marcus LaRue and in Berlin, David Charter there on Twitter. They're keeping us all up to date, especially Marcus tweeting away up there in the Alps. So do follow them, please. Join us again next week and thanks for listening. 
The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.